And your, let me make sure I pronounce your last name, Wilkins Dyer? Deer. Deer. See? Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> okay. So now I would like to welcome Nancy Wilkins Deer to the show. Nancy is a former associate director of the San Diego Supercomputing Center. And she has been there since 1993, and she's now retired. She's held a variety of management positions, and her particular expertise is in the development of web interfaces to high-performance computing systems, data collections, instruments, and other resources fundamental to many of today's research endeavors. Beginning with the NSF's TerraGrid Science Gateways program in 2005, she has led many programs that support the democratization of access to high-end resources. Most recently, she has served as co-PI on both the NSF Exceed program and the Science Gateways Community Institute, an NSF Scientific Software Innovation Institute. She has held a number of leadership roles in NSF projects funded over hundreds of millions of dollars over her career. Nancy received her bachelor's degree from Boston College in mathematics and philosophy and her master's degree in aerospace engineering from San Diego State University. Welcome to the show, Nancy, and thank you so much for joining me. Thank you very much, Nicole. Thanks for having me. So I'd like to get started with just getting to know you a little better. Um, you are retired and uh, what do you like to do in your free time? Um, as, um, as most of my work colleagues know, I do a lot of running. Even uh, before I was retired, I was well known for that. I used to organize runs at a lot of the major conferences like supercomputing and perk and basically anywhere I went to a conference, I was organizing some kind of run. So I got to meet a lot of people from a lot of different institutions and have some really great experiences out on the trails in Salt Lake City or, you know, through the, uh, through the, uh, through New, York, New Orleans, uh, Bourbon Street um, in the early morning hours. So it was a, a source of meeting lots of great colleagues, uh, some of whom I still uh, keep in touch with. So. That's very cool. A I apologies for my clock. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I actually went to, Perk, and I'm sure that you were the one that organized it in Pittsburgh. There was a run. Yep. <laughs> Very cool. <laughs> um, yeah, that, that's awesome. I also used to like to run, but I, I've injured myself. So <laughs> sorry to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's see. So let's start with your sort of initial experience into um, technology and computing in general, because I think um, that story kind of gets overlooked, especially um, it can be interesting to hear the perspective of women, because I think that the, the story doesn't always start with, I was five years old and I built a computer. <laughs> no, <laughs> not at all. Yeah. <laughs> so what was your first exposure to computing and um, what was what got you interested in science? 
Yeah, it was a, um, you know, kind of a non-traditional role. I didn't really, like you said, I wasn't building computers at five. I didn't have this lifelong interest in science. Um, I, when I graduated from high school, about the only thing I knew about what I wanted to do was that I liked math and that, you know, came easy. It was fun. So that led to a college degree in, uh, in math. And it wasn't until the end of those four years of undergraduate, when I actually realized that math could be applied to things, it was, uh, we proved a lot of theorems. There was a lot of, uh, uh, you know, not practical applications of math in the program that I was in. So we finally had this professor from Bell Labs um, senior year. And then I realized it could be applied to engineering. And that was like a revelation <laughs> to me, <laughs> very sheltered. Um, so, um, uh, then I decided to go for a graduate degree in engineering. And um, when I was first starting at San Diego State, um, the boyfriend of one of my college friends, he was at Stanford also in an aerospace program. And he was working with <clears throat> uh, Robert McCormack, who was one of the early writers of computational fluid dynamics codes. This was in the 80s, so this stuff was just getting getting started then. There wasn't really, you know, a whole lot of computing going on back then. Um, but I was I was fascinated by this and the fact that you could model physical processes with math and then program in, into um, something that a computer could understand, visualize the results. I thought was really cool. That was way before you know all the great viz that we have today. You know, we had some pretty simple stuff back then and I was still impressed. Um, but that's, that's how I got into it. Um, I was fortunate to have professors who um, kind of let me do my own thing at San Diego State because nobody was really doing that. So I was able to kind of pave my own way. I used the academic computing systems at night when they weren't being used to process student records. So I had this account on a VAX that I could run on all night long, but not during the day. <laughs> and, um, and I had a few precious minutes of cray time at the San Diego Supercomputer Center that I would save for like really special occasions. So <laughs> I mean, I had like an hour time total in a quarter or something, which is like, just like laughable now compared to what people had. But we had these um, block grant programs um, that went to um, universities. I think in the beginning it was throughout California. Now, of course it's everywhere and there's the Campus Champions program and all these great things. Um, but it was, um, it was kind of funny because they, I, I had, I was working out of a basement lab where I could have um, like 24 hour access to a terminal and we couldn't make phone calls from the phones there. You could only call within San Diego state could just dial extensions. And so anytime I had a question, I had to like run up to the pay phone in the courtyard at the engineering building, put it in my little quarter and ask the question. <laughs> So um, one of the first things that I did when I finally got to work at the supercomputer center was install an 800 member <laughs> so that other people didn't have to uh, do what I did to uh, get their questions answered. So it was like kind of roundabout. Yeah. But yeah, I was just, I just finished outliers actually. And um, the book talks about how um, when you think of all the, people, the tech people that started all these companies, a huge part of their success is always how many computing hours that they can get in 
uh, on these machines back in the day where there's so many physical limitations, like being in the right room <laughs> and being able to make a phone call. So um, that's super, that's super enlightening. Very cool. Um, yeah. So then from there, how did you start getting involved in um, this sort of intersection between software and engineering and science? Yeah, so my, um, my first couple of jobs out of grad school um, were at engineering firms here in San Diego. So um, I ran um, computer, uh, computational fluid dynamics, like CFD is the acronym I'll use because it's easier. Um, uh, CFD simulations for missile design at General Dynamics, which was a really large employer um, at the time I graduated and then moved on to General Atomics where I was doing um, designs for gas-cooled um, nuclear reactors. So helium flow through a reactor instead of airflow over a, a missile, but, um, but similar kinds of um, concerns and codes and things like that. And both of those programs ended, there was like a shutdown in funding for the missile systems at GD and the same thing for the reactor program at GA. And at the time, General Atomics was running the San Diego Supercomputer Center, which sits like across the street on the campus of UCSD. So it was an internal transfer, just looking for, you know, another position and something else to do um, and ended up um, getting the position at SDSC and then staying there for like 25 years. So there was just it was so fascinating and I liked it so much more than um, Engineering, especially in a large company, you can get really pigeonholed where you do the same thing over and over in slightly different ways as they make little design changes. Um, and, and with supercomputing, I mean, people were using the supercomputers in all, um, all areas of science, not just engineering, you know, chemistry, biology, uh, now it's even social science, it's just so thrilling. Uh, and so there, you know, I was never bored, right? You know, all, you get to work with all these different, I had a um, position answering the, the phone when I first started the help desk, the same number, you know, that, that I called as a student. <laughs> um, so that, that was kind of cool, but just talking to people from all over the country, trying to do all sorts of different things um, and then having new technology and new computers to contend with really every couple of years. Um, just, I mean, it's like easy to have a career like that, right? <laughs> no, it's, uh... Well, it's a trade-off, right? It's sometimes in, in the academic side, you know, we don't, we don't get paid quite as much, but there's people here for a reason, <laughs> right? It's, there's something intrinsically interesting about being in this intersection and it's really dynamic, I think. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Yeah. Really rewarding too. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I, yeah, that, that's at least personally valuable to me, it sounds like to you too. So um, a lot of your work is focused on software that makes computing systems more accessible. Um, and maybe TerraGrid is the first installment of that. Um, yeah, I mean, I was really lucky to, it just, um, it, it just, you, you can't always plan out a career and how it's gonna go and what twists and turns that are gonna be there. Um, and that Science Gateway program really changed, um, changed my life, changed my career path. Um, and just have like Charlie Catlett, who I think is still at Argonne National Lab to uh, thank for that, for kind of putting, putting me in charge of something like that. So that was, 
kind of early 2000s and the web was just getting going. Um, and so prior to that, people um, accessing supercomputers, you didn't have to be at the facility, of course, but it was uh, very much terminal interfaces and Unix and things like that. And people, you know, uh, uh, interfacing at the command line and working very directly with the supercomputers. So we're starting to see, you know, the, the, the web develop and scientists using the web. And so you have these large communities of people who need this processing power, but don't have all the background training in HPC or all the expertise. And so that was kind of the genesis of, um, of, of that program was looking at, you know, initially just some of the large NSF projects that were web-based and how we could work in a very hands-on way with like eight projects um, to, you know, what did an interface to a supercomputer have to look like so that you could go in from the web and, you know, say, I want to do this simulation and not even, I'm going to construct this Fortran code and I'm going to submit this, um, this, this, this code through a web interface to the computer. But even stepping back from that, like, I just want to solve this science scientific problem and describe it in terms that I know how to um, describe. And then on the back end, it's going to construct the code and launch the code and then deliver me the result. And it was a very new way of accessing supercomputers. We had a large um, working group, including security professionals. We had to make policy changes with the National Science Foundation for how these things can be accessed. Cause you can imagine there's like a lot more anonymity and a lot more trust that has to be there um, to use these expensive resources. But we were able to, you know, navigate all those roadblocks and create a very successful program that still operates today. Now there's, there's hundreds and hundreds of gateways that use the um, supercomputers that the NSF funds. And um, yeah, I'm really proud of that. But it was all just sort of, you know, luck, like Charlie, because I think I was involved in user services um, still with like the consulting aspect of supercomputing and him just saying, hey, how'd you like to do this? And I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> um, so we talk about, you've, you've been involved with both TerraGrid and exceed. Um, so maybe we step back and talk about specifically like what the goals of TerraGrid were and explain what that is more and then maybe how that's changed now that um, we've transitioned to exceed. Yeah, the TerraGrid, the initial vision was of distributed. So back then grid computing was more of a thing. Now it's more cloud computing that we hear about. Um, but the, the very initial idea was to construct a set of distributed machines that were identical, but geographically um, um, located apart from one another. And that would people would run, you know, large jobs across all of these machines assembled. Um, so there was a great emphasis on the networking. There was a lot of um, investment in the high speed network. But really what TerraGrid did, I think one of its most valuable contributions was bringing together these different um, supercomputer centers in non-competitive ways, uh, working together on a single um, project. And so Exceed is that, has carried that idea um, forward um, very much more through John Town's leadership. And I think it's been a huge win for the centers. I mean, back when I first started at SDSC, 
we were very siloed SDSC, the Pittsburgh Supercomputer Center and CSA. Don't talk to the enemy. No, no working with them. <laughs> no. Um, and, and so TerraGrid was the first, um, the, the first instance of a project where we, we were all funded kind of to do the same thing together. Um, and there were some, you know, steps forward and back, and I'm not going to say it was the smoothest, you know, transition from whatever years of uh, working one way to working another. But uh, especially with John's leadership through the Exceed program and all the great people that work on it, um, uh, we, we just made huge strides forward. I just had... Um, I had lunch recently with uh, Ralph Roskies, who is the director of Pittsburgh Supercomputer Center and his wife, and we get together regularly, even though we're both retired now. So there's, you know, there, there's been some huge wins through those programs. Wonderful. Yeah. Um, also, let's see. Yeah. So I'm told that you termed the, uh, that you coined the term science gateways. You know, I wouldn't say coined, and we actually, we can't remember who coined it, uh, whether it was Charlie or, um, oh shoot, I'm forgetting the other co-PI of the TerraGrid program. Um, shoot, maybe I'll think of it. Um, but they, uh, Rick Stevens actually is, is who I thought maybe coined it. Um, but I would say, I mean, I, I, I would say I popularized it. I sort of made it what it is. I don't like you know, <laughs> to really say, say that, but being in charge of kind of launching that program and really making it successful. Um, yeah, I think that <laughs> I had something to do with that, I guess. So, so for those people that don't know, um, what is a science gateway? And... Um, well, let's just start with what it is. What is the Science Gateway? <laughs> yeah, it's, um, I mean, I, I think of it as a web interface to uh, some kind of capability, whether it's data collections or analysis or remote instruments. We've worked with telescopes and things like that. Um, the gateways that I've always worked with have had that computing aspect. And so we, we coined the phrase in, um, in connection with computing. Um, but, um, yeah, it, um, the, the democratization, which I think was in the bio, that's a word that we like to use a lot because there are an awful lot of groups that don't have access to, um, you know, large data stores and high-end computing and things like that. And if you can, um, you know, get access to a gateway and a lot of them are, are really pretty open and provide access to anyone anywhere in the world, you can get all these capabilities at your fingertips. It's, it's amazing. Um, some of the statistics from some of the gateways where they've just got worldwide users, some of them from not very rich uh, countries, but still doing very important research. And they're able to do that because of this gateway where otherwise, you know, no way would they have access to those sorts of things. Um, so, yeah. Are there any particular gateways that you've worked on that you're particularly proud of? Um, I mean, I haven't, I haven't worked directory, directly on a lot of them because I was already in management at the time. So it was more like having the responsibility for, you know, how can you request supercomputing time if you're a gateway and how, what kind of security do you have implemented? So it was more like one step up. Um, but some of the, the Cypress Science Gateway, which uses a lot of resources at the San Diego Supercomputer Center, 
that's been a leader for a long time. Um, they do phylogenetic tree analysis, which is useful in a lot of different fields. Um, NanoHub is a very successful science gateway. Um, it's, it's kind of interesting how some of these gateways have changed a lot of things too, because some of them, you know, they take a lot of different forms. Some of them, you know, it's just individual individuals running jobs, running analyses and not really interacting with other individuals. But some of the gateways really form these communities where people are answering questions for one another and contributing content like code or, you know, presentations or classroom materials, all kinds of different things. And in NanoHub, for example, they've actually been able to change the tenure process a little bit. So looking not just at publications and citations, but looking at what someone has contributed to this gateway and how many of the you know, thousands of people on this gateway have found those contributions useful and making that also a component. So I think it's kind of you know, modernizing a little bit um, you know, what's considered as a valuable contribution to science. Yeah, and I, there's a lot of talk about how do we do that formally to make sure that people are sort of recognized. Um, yep. There's some, some missing value there. And do you have any ideas on maybe how that could be improved? Um, you know, we've tried to, to work with people like the um, uh, Altmetrics was a good group that I remember working with. Um, gosh, there was... Yeah, my memory is not quite what it was, um, but there, there were some people doing some really leading work, especially software contributions. Um, Dan Katz um, at uh, NCSA now, I guess, yeah, um, had a lot to do with recognition of software contributions back when he was an, uh, a director at the NSF, um, which, which were really important because you think of, um, you know, the value in creating software that's heavily used. Um, and there was really no mechanism, you know, to, to um, especially for, for open source to kind of recognize how much something was getting used and how you were able to cite software and things like that. So he's done a lot of that of work in that regard. We've tried to do, <clears throat> do some work as far as citing the gateways because the gateways also, they have to secure their own funding, so they have to show their utility to their users. So we're always, we were always trying to, to work with them in that regard to make sure that they were you know, cat, capturing success and telling those stories in the right way because it was vital to their survival too. Um, what am I not hitting with science gateways? What are you, uh, maybe what are you most proud of that you've worked on? Um, I, I mean, I think, you know, changing the, that whole fundamental access to supercomputers, looking back on it now, um, you know, I'm not sure how I ever did such things, right? You know, it just seems like at the time, you know, just sort of uh, do the next indicated thing. Uh, but being able to change that policy that changed that access, I think had a, um, had a tremendous impact for the the NSF's recognition that the gateways were, uh, you know, of such importance that they funded uh, a software institute um, around gateways and their success and, and helping, you know, all kinds of different gateways be successful. That, 
that that I think I'm, I'm most proud of. That was my final big award before I retired and just work with a tremendous group of people um, on that project. So I, I think, you know, I think having something that you've created that'll live on without you and sort of developing enough good people to just kind of carry that, what I consider important work forward. Um, that's very satisfying, very fortunate to have been able to do that in a career. So. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, congratulations on that. And congratulations on retiring. That's pretty yeah, cool. yeah, yeah, yeah. My my husband predated me in retirement by some eight years, so he was uh, yes, anxiously after me to join him. And so it's it's been a great career, um, but it's it's been a lot of fun. I've been able to pursue a lot of personal interests. Like I I took a math class at um, Stanford through Coursera because I hadn't done math in a while and I missed that. <laughs> um, you know, I'm trying to, you know, improve my French, learn the oboe, maybe, maybe I'll do, go back to doing some programming. Python's kind of on my list. I never really got a chance to learn that. So that stuff's fun. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. Are, I mean, have you always just been working even when you're done with work for the, the day? <laughs> um, I mean, no, no. I mean, and that's kind of the fun of retirement because I mean, I did work pretty hard when I was working on it. So I was like pretty exhausted whenever I wasn't working. <laughs> so it's nice to have the energy and the time to, to, you know, tick off some of those enjoyable things, you know, now. So. Yeah, that's cool. My, my mom retired pretty recently and um, I keep telling her to take a class or something but <laughs> yeah I mean you have to yeah yeah the, the, the neat thing is you can like pick and choose if you feel like you want to do it but but the fun thing is there's just so much out there now if you really want to do it you know everything's at your fingertips so mm -hmm. um I had another point about science gateways but I can't remember what it was oh um yeah I mean uh, I just maybe wanted to talk more about your leadership positions and um, how, uh, I, I don't know, something about, um, I don't know, I mean, something about how, how um, management is also an important role and you know, we get kind of divided up into people that want to work on tech and people that want to go into management um, and maybe why it was the choice for you or. Um... Yeah, I mean, I think um, for, for me, I think I, I was good at it. I mean, I think it, it, it's, it, it's kind of interesting working with a lot of tech folks. A lot of people, um, you know, like to be kind of more heads down programming instead of lots of communication with lots of people. Um, and I think it's great <clears throat> that we have so many different types of people like that because we couldn't, you know, absolutely couldn't achieve what, what we do if everyone were the same way, right? So I think um, for me, I'm better at management, I would say, than, um, than some people are. It's a good fit for me. And it kind of has been from early, uh, you know, I, I did help desk stuff for a few years at SDSC, but really probably within the first five years, I was starting to do management of different programs, like back to NPACI, um, gosh, in the 90s. <laughs> um, but, but um, you know, project management, working with large teams, that's been something that, that I've been good at. Um, and it's kind of been rewarding, especially in Exceeds ECSS program where we had um, 
a large staff of people across, gosh, I'm gonna forget how many, um, God, I think close to 30 FTEs, maybe 70 individuals across um, 10-ish sites across the country. And what we're doing is matchmaking requests that come in for um, supercomputing support, could be gateways, could be um, optimization, um, could be like development of community codes, all sorts of different things, or development of training, and just kind of matchmaking our staff to these projects and then to be able to see them go off together and do great things. And, you know, you know, fo following up all the interviews at the end of these projects, how did things go? You know, is there anything we can improve? And just kind of working on a program like that, it's something that, um, that I think I was, I was well suited to. And it was re very rewarding because you, you felt like you got to do more by allowing all these other people to do more, if that makes sense. No. <laughs> so. Yeah, it sounds like, um, communication and mm -hmm. uh, looking at things from the high level mm -hmm. are really important. There's, I mean, there's need for all of that in technology. There's definitely need, need for the depth of knowledge in particular um, um, programming techniques and things like that. But there, there is also the need to step back a level, a, a level and be able to um, explain things to the community, explain things to review panels, um, uh, you know, write, write compelling proposals, all those sorts of things. So a lot of, di lot of different skills you could, yeah. Um, maybe lastly, um, do you have um, any experiences that you would attribute to being a woman in technology that maybe other people have never experienced before? Um, I mean, I don't, I don't know. It's sort of hard to compare with everybody else. I have to say that um, I've never felt at work, I've never had anybody imply even remotely that women shouldn't be doing this kind of work or anything like that. Like not at all, never. We had some good role models at the supercomputer center. Um, Anka Kamarath had some high level management positions and I kind of followed in her footsteps for a, a couple of cycles. She's I think out at NCAR now and still in a leadership role. Fran Berman was our center director for a while. So definitely been plenty of, um, of, of female role models. Um, I think probably the only negative experience I had was um, back before grad school, I was working as a secretary at Northeastern University. So it was after my math degree and I was applying to engineering schools and you could take classes for free at night at Northeastern. Um, so I was doing that. And, but you couldn't take, you, you know, they only offered certain classes in certain quarters. So, you know, you just had to take what was there. So I was taking fluid mechanics and I hadn't taken statics or dynamics or any of the basic engineering classes yet. So I was working pretty hard. I was struggling and the professor, um, I mean, I, I passed, I, uh, I don't know, I think I got a C or something. Um, but the instructor was, you know, I don't think you said, I don't think you're cut out for this. And he was wrong <laughs> and I didn't listen to him. <laughs> so it, it's just, but there weren't a lot of negatives. That's like the only one that really comes to mind. And this is, you know, despite all those engineering courses where there's not a lot of women in the room, um, you know, really never felt any negative vibes from classmates, teachers, anything like that. So 
I think it's a very individual thing. I feel like I was lucky, but, um, but personally, that's all I can speak to. So. Sure. Yeah. And you know, no is also an okay answer. Um, yeah. I, I always like to ask, I feel like, um, you know, in, in implicit bias sort of encroaches. It's a fair question. I mean, yeah, there's, yep. <laughs> um, and yeah, anyway, um, let's see. Uh, do you have any last thoughts or advice for maybe the, the younger people listening? Um, I mean, I, um, I, I gave a talk at my high school a while back. And one of the things that I said uh, to those students was to not feel like you had to have everything figured out for your life, that it's okay to kind of take it one step at a time. Um, I mean, as an undergraduate, I hated programming because you couldn't wait to the last minute to do your homework because it always required like a little more time to get things to compile and run. So I just, uh, I didn't like it. I, if you would have said, you know, you're going to be working at a supercomputer center for most of your entire career, I said, nah, no, I'm not. <laughs> so just kind of, you know, be, be curious, be open to new ideas. Um, don't, I think there's pressure now to feel like you have to have everything figured out. So don't, don't bring that pressure on yourself. And it's okay to just like the next step, I'm going to explore math and next step, I'm going to explore engineering. And for you, it might be totally different steps, but, um, um, you know, don't panic about that, I guess I would say. And technology is a, a great career for women. It's lots of fun. <laughs> Well, but thank you for the wonderful advice. I'll make a note myself. And <laughs> um, yeah, so thank you so much for joining us. And I really appreciate your time. I, I learned um, a little bit about TerraGrid and Exceed. And um, I really appreciated the interview. Thank you. Thank you very much, Nicole. I appreciate being asked. Bye, Nancy. Bye.